to uh, read our text, which is to say, simply listen, if you will, to the reading of the Word of God today. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So if you will, please simply listen to the reading of the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. To bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. He was not the light. But came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And to the reading of the word of God, let us all say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. John's uh, account that we just read of Jesus coming into the world is uh, very different from the other Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are sometimes called the synoptic gospels. They tell the story of Mary and of Joseph and of the angels and of the shepherds, then of Herod and the wise men, and of course Jesus, born in Bethlehem. That's not John's story. John starts with the eternal Son of God. John makes very clear, as we read here, that the Son of God is God. Now, some people who don't read the Bible very much say that the Bible nowhere claims that Jesus is God. That's obviously false. John writes that the Son of God is God and that Jesus is the Son of God, and therefore Jesus is God. Then if you notice there in what I read, he goes on to teach that Jesus is the creator. Did you notice that? Did you see that? Jesus is the creator. Now again, some people have the idea that God the Father created everything through the power of the Holy Spirit and that the Son just sort of sat around and and watched. That's also false. God the Son is just as much the creator of the universe as is God the Father and God the Spirit. Nothing that the Father created was created without the Son. But today I want to focus our attention very briefly on the important language that John uses. He states that the Son of God is the, did you notice there, the Word, the Word. Now, Word is a translation of the Greek word logos. That was a very important word in the Greek language. The logos is the Word. Now, in downtown Santa Cruz, we have a bookstore called Logos. That really is an appropriate name for a bookstore, since logos is is 
rightly translated word, and books are full of words. But the Logos had a much deeper meaning for the Greeks. You see, many of the Greeks believed that behind our world, our physical world, there was another world, an invisible world. And that's the true world, not this one. This is the shadow world. The real world is the world that can't be seen. The most famous person who believed that was Plato. Not Plato, Plato. They believed that our, our present world was uh, chaotic and anarchic. It didn't have any meaning. But behind this physical world, behind this physical world, is the true world. They call it the world of the forms or the ideas. That, you see, was the real world, the correct world. That our world, our world that doesn't have any real meaning, should be made to conform to. And so the task of smart people was to work to change this world, this physical world, into the pattern set forth in this ideal world. And that's where the Logos comes in. The Logos for the Greeks wasn't just the word. It was like universal reason. It was like an organizing principle of all the universe. It made order out of chaos. It was this sort of rational principle in man that allows all of us to think and communicate and make sense and understand one another. Because our minds participate in this logos. We can talk with one another. In all of this chaos and anarchy surrounding us, this logos, this principle of unity and reason, holds everything together. And here John comes along and completely turns this idea on its head. When John says that the eternal Son of God is the Word, he means Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the one that holds everything together. He's making an amazing and comforting point to the whole ancient world. They thought the Logos was a principle that was or should become a part of the universe. John is saying the Logos isn't a principle, but the Logos is a person. He's teaching that if you want to understand the universe, you have to know Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Now you can understand why John, and did you notice this as I read? Why John talks so much about Jesus being the light. Did you notice that? The light that came into the world? And if you've read the Gospel of John, you know how often he talks about Jesus being the light. Now you understand. The Greeks knew that the world was full of darkness. They looked all around them. They saw the evil in the world. There were wars and famines, of course, and diseases and death and all of the sadness of life and all of the tragedy of life. But they didn't understand why this darkness was here. They just thought it was the natural order of things. Well, that's just life. That's just kind of life. Life is full of tragedy, they would say. But John knew the darkness was here for a different reason. John knew that the darkness was here because of sin. That's the key. It's not natural. It's unnatural. Do everybody here understand that? Sin is unnatural. This world wasn't made for sin. It wasn't made for what's going on right now. And the Son of God came as the Logos to get rid of the darkness. That is to get rid of the sin. And then did you see John says that the Son illumines everybody who comes into the world. See this? Did you notice? That's very important. Now the question we Christians sometimes hear is, what about all those people who haven't heard about Jesus Christ? What about all those people who haven't heard the gospel? I mean, how could God hold them responsible, right? How could he judge them if they haven't even heard the gospel? Well, John gives us the answer here. They may not know Jesus' name, but they do know the light. Because he lightens everyone that comes into the world. They know the truth of God. They know of his goodness. They know of the majesty of God. Read Romans 1. 
Everybody born knows of the goodness and majesty of God. Yet though they see the light, many of them reject the light and they choose to stay in darkness according to verses 10 and 11. And even, even the Jews, God's own chosen people, decided to stay in their sinful darkness. Can you believe that? But the good news is that it doesn't have to be that way. If we'll only receive the light, receive Jesus the Messiah, we will become the sons of God. God brings us out of the darkness and he brings us into his family. That's what he said there. Who were born, not of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but the will of God. This is God's work. You do understand, don't you, that salvation and coming into the light is God's work. It's not man's work. It's God's work. Oh, by the way, that's why it's not too hard for God to save anybody. You look at some specific individual, man, what a blaspheming rascal man or woman. I mean, that person could never be saved. Humanly speaking, that's true, but we're not humanly speaking. God saves people. And nobody's too hard. There's no nut too hard for God to crack. Nobody. That's how powerful he is. So everybody who's been born knows the light. They can choose light or darkness. They choose darkness, they stand under God's judgment. The great news is that isn't the way it has to be. This light is the Logos. And I want to concentrate just a little more fully on it this Advent season. Because if we don't understand it, we won't understand one of the main reasons Jesus came into the world. So follow me here. A very helpful way to explain this is to talk about two kinds of Christianity or two kinds of Christians. I'm using the language of a professor at King's College in Manhattan, a fine man, Anthony Bradley. His point is that there are Genesis 1 and 2 Christians and there are Genesis 3 Christians. Now let's talk about those for just a second. <clears throat> the Genesis 1 and 2 Christians, by the way, by Genesis 1 and 2, what happens in Genesis 3, by the way? The fall. What happens in Genesis 1 and 2? The creation. There's the creation, Genesis 1 and 2, and then the fall. His point is that the Genesis 1 and 2 Christians see man's great calling as bringing glory to God by worshiping him and serving him and bringing everything under his authority for his glory. The Genesis 1 and 2 Christians, he says, understand their calling is chiefly about this present world. We might call the Genesis 1 and 2 Christians the worship Christians, the worship Christians. Well, and then we have Genesis 3 Christians, which see the tragedy of human sin. Because in Genesis 3, what happened? What happened in Genesis 3? Man fell. And there was a promise from God that he would send whom? He would send a Savior. So, they rightly see, Genesis 3 Christians, the tragedy of human sin and the glory of the gospel. And they see our great calling as getting people saved and getting them ready for heaven. That's a calling mainly about the future world. We might call the Genesis 3 Christians the... Uh, the evangelism Christians. Now the fact is, tell me which of these two views is correct. They're both correct. They're both correct. Both are necessary. It's not a both and. It's a both and and not an either or. We have to be worship Christians. And we have to be evangelism Christians. Now what is this? You say, Andrew, that sounds really interesting. What does this have to do with Advent? Plenty. We read in Matthew and Mark and Luke about Jesus coming into the world to save his people from their sins. That's Genesis 3 Christianity. And it's great. But we read a different angle, don't we? Did you notice that in John 1? A little different angle in John 1. This is why we have more than one biblical gospel account. We have four gospels, not one. We have four. In John 1, we see both Genesis 3 Christians and also Genesis 1 and 2 Christians in Christianity. Jesus is the savior of the world. 
but he's also the light of the world, the logos of the world, the interpreter of the world, the meaning of the world. You see, and this is the key, our problem isn't just that sin places us under God's judgment. Sin just doesn't pollute our morals. Sin blinds our eyes to why we're here in the world. Sin confuses us. Sin messes up our thinking. That's what sin does. It confuses us about why we're here. You often see this in plenty of movies, don't you? Particularly sci-fi movies. Sinful humanity wants to explore outer space because they have no clue on this earth why we're here. And so here they go trolling around outer space. What's out there? That'll tell us the meaning of life. We've got to go out there to find the meaning of life. And so because man turns away from the Logos, because he turns away from the light, because he turns away from Jesus, he stumbles in darkness. History is littered with man's stumbling in darkness. We've turned away from the Logos, and now that's why we're awash in abortion and sexual immorality and unwed pregnancies and divorces and broken blended families and pornography and socialism and euthanasia and sexual abuse <coughs> and materialism and commercialism and greed and exploitation of women and thieving Wall Street bankers and thieving Main Street borrowers and sex slave trading and racism and I could go on and on. In the last century Hitler exterminated six million European Jews. The Marxists exterminated entire generations in Russia and in China and in Cambodia. Islamic nations turned away from the Logos. They ended up degrading women and dehumanizing men. Know nothing of God's grace in their society. Nothing of the glorious redemptive grace of God. Closer to home we have people around us, don't you? Just turning away from the Logos, turning away from the light. Look at what that's accomplished. Good example of this. They live for the weekend. You know what? I've seen bumper stickers like that. Whenever I see that, I just shake my head in utter sadness. I live for the weekend. Well, man, that's like at the most three days. You're going to go through hell four days out of the week or five days out of the week and live for the weekend? They have no understanding of work as being God's blessing, of work as being good in itself. And though they grumble most of the week, work for them is a sort of a, a, a prison. Or they look at sex merely as recreation, rather as recreational. They see children as a great impediment to their own personal gratification. They therefore tend to miss the joy of personal sacrifice for others. They have faith in man, no faith in God, and thus they don't have true assurance or true security. You understand that. If you lack faith in God, you have no security. Because there is no such thing as earthly security or assurance. You get that only by trust in the triune God. There is no other way. And thus they turn to drugs and alcohol to mask their anxiety. Or women resent men and hate men. And try to replace men and then lose the wonder and joy of the complementarity of sex, that is, of man and woman loving and enjoying and sacrificing for and needing one another. And men objectify and debase and abuse women, turn them into playthings and never know a woman's love and a woman's loyalty and her care as one of the greatest gifts that God intended for man. Children grow up to resent the older generation. And they rebel and cut themselves off from the wisdom of their parents and grandparents. 
and others with experience. But then older folks have the same problem. They dismiss younger folks and don't care for them and don't listen to them, don't listen to their views and their needs. And acting this way, they cut the cord to preserving intergenerational experience and wisdom. Older folks here, you better not cut off younger people. You're going to be gone and they're still going to be here. They need you to be patient with them and listen to them and love them and pour your hearts and minds into them. And turning to darkness, they don't know their God-established place in the world. That's the key. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know why you're here. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't have meaning. He alone is the Logos. He is the, alone is the one that supplies meaning. There's no other meaning. We uh, evangelicals often haven't helped ourselves. Often we've been only Genesis 3 Christians. We've divided life into the sacred and the secular. We've given God our hearts on Sunday, and we've given the world our minds on Monday through Saturday. We don't think about what it means to follow Jesus in education, and in voting, and in economics, and in entertainment, and in medicine, and health, and health care, and science, and technology. And so we often live what Francis Schaeffer would call two-layered lives. Two-layered lives. The upper story of heaven is the layer that we have access to on Sunday mornings. But then we live in the lower story of this world the rest of the week. We see the light on Sunday, but we're willing to stumble along in the darkness away from church. And so because of this, it's very easy to live by worldly standards when we decide about things like vacations or artificial insemination or credit card debt or the social media, Facebook, so on, or business ethics or biological evolution, or dating, is dating right or wrong, or dancing, and body modification, and all of these things, financial investments. These are things we assume the Bible doesn't say anything about. But you know what? Actually, the Bible says a lot about these things, at least in principle. And to live in the light means to live in all the light, not just the Sunday morning light. Everybody got that, my friend? To live in the light means living in the light all the time, not just on Sunday mornings. Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago just to be the Sunday morning light. He came to be the light of the world, all of the world, all of the time. He came to be the light as far as the darkness is found. And since the darkness is everywhere, the light must be everywhere. That's what it means to be the Logos. So then, the message of John 1 isn't just that Jesus saves the world from hell and damnation. He also saves the world from its utter dark meaninglessness. He saves us from stumbling in the darkness, not knowing why we're here. He saves us from living our mad quest to find purpose in life. Oh, I hope one day people say, I'm trying to find a purpose in life. No Christian ever need say that. We do have a purpose in life. It's given to us in Jesus Christ and disclosed in his word. Jesus saves us not just to go to heaven, but to worship him and to work so that all of creation worships him. He saves us to work so that all of life will bring tribute to the triune God and that all of creation glorifies him. John 1 teaches us that Jesus isn't just the savior of the world. He's also the very meaning of the world. That too, my friends, from John 1 is our Advent message. That Jesus is not just the savior of the world. He is the meaning the entire world. Let us pray. Don, would you pray a prayer of dedication that as we 
come into this new year, we would recognize Jesus both as our Savior and also the meaning of all of life. God, we do thank you for that. Reality and truth of both sides that, uh, that you would never offer to us as, as uh, one or the other.